0: Welcome to the podcast stream for the sermons from Orchard Hill Church. We are so thrilled that you found us. If you have questions about our church or want to support us financially, head over to our website, ohohio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy. We welcome you to speak, Lord. Only you have the words of life. And the words of life he gifts us with today come from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 24. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. The word of God for the people of God. You can please be seated. And before we go any further, I'd like to invite our 4th and 5th graders to go ahead to class. Here goes Gabe, Patty. Have a great time today, guys. So we, we will be talking about joy today because it is the third week of Advent season. And today's message is titled, Repeat the Sounding Joy, which of course is from the song, Joy to the World, which we just got to experience beautifully led by our worship team and Drew. This actually is one of my most favorite songs. I will often stop everything that I'm doing when it comes on and just declare the words in that song out loudly. Um, not as beautifully as our team just did. (laughs) But even though the words of this song have been so impactful to me, they seriously are just um, very significant for my life. Um, I've never really researched what those words meant before, where they came from, so in preparation for today, I read about the history of joy to the world and was very surprised at what I learned. It turns out that the song was never meant to be a Christmas song. In fact, it wasn't even meant to be a song at all. It was first written in 1719 by a man named Isaac Watts. He published a book called The Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament. So in this book, he reworked psalms that were from the Old Testament in light of what the New Testament revealed about them. And what would become the song Joy to the World was actually Psalm 98, reworked by Watts for this book. So as I read Psalm 98 here in a moment, um, specifically verses 4 through 9, I think that although the verses are very different, you will be able to notice how Watts came to the lyrics of this song we know and love. Psalm 98 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the, war, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands, let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. I hear the words, joy to the world. The Savior reigns, let all their songs employ, while fields and floods and rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Such beauty. Watts's poem was titled, the Messiah's coming and kingdom. And eventually, George Friedrich Handel and Lowell Mason put music to the poem, which resulted in what we now know as Joy to the World. It's so surprising that Joy to the World has become such a staple Christmas song because the song doesn't talk about typical Christmassy things. There's no mention of Mary or Joseph a star, wise men, or even a baby born in a manger. What it does talk about is the second coming of Christ. The song proclaims the ultimate joy that is both ours now and is yet to come as we are desperately waiting for Jesus to return to this broken world. It feels like our world is in an especially dark place right now. Politics are dividing us. War is constant. Right here in our own community, we see addiction and hunger and mental illness on the rise. And over this past year, our own church family has experienced incredibly difficult losses, long-term illness, and just hard situations. Although we live in this brokenness, The truth we're going to explore today is the hard-to-understand fact that we also have great joy. A couple years ago, I took a class on Philippians. Uh, We were in person for this class, and the professor would do a, a very deep dive into the book, spending like hours on just one or two verses. And we learned that when Paul wrote this letter, he was in a very dark place. He was anxiously expecting to be killed at any moment. And yet joy is found throughout this letter. Like many of his letters, including Thessalonians and the scripture I read earlier, joy is a theme with Paul because even though he was severely persecuted, even though his life was incredibly hard, he joyfully continued his work. He had joy in prison, because he expected Christ to return at any moment. Paul expected to see Jesus and experience a redeemed world any minute. At one point, Paul says in Philippians 4.4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And when we reached this verse in that classroom, me and my classmates hijacked the lesson. We needed to understand what that meant. And thankfully, the professor stepped aside and allowed us to explore what it meant to have this kind of joy in the midst of suffering. This year, I've seen people walk through very hard things and it's hard to imagine doing those impossible things while also experiencing joy, but I've seen it again and again. I think the reason it's hard for us to understand how that's possible is because we confuse joy with happiness. Happiness is when our sense of joy comes from anything other than the beauty and wonder of Christ. Happiness is what we feel when we attend Christmas parties and find the perfect gift for a loved one. It's watching a child sit on Santa's lap with that look of awe in their eyes as they anticipate and dream about all the possibilities of Christmas morning. That is joy-filled happiness. But joy that endures the brokenness and suffering of the world is very different because it doesn't come from the world. Joy is rooted in the character and promises of God especially as they are revealed to us through Christ Jesus. The joy that Paul talks about in his letters can only be experienced through Christ. Christ Christ-filled joy allows us to not only feel hope and love and peace in the midst of everything that is broken, but it also is why we understand that it is possible to have joy because Jesus is with us. Paul talks about the same joy in our scripture for today, and he instructs us to be joyful and give thanks in all situations, and that was radical instruction at the time. The people that this letter was written to were suffering under Roman rule. Their living conditions were appalling, and most of them, if not all of them, were literally starving to death. So the idea of being joyful always would have sounded ridiculous to them. And maybe it does to you too. To have joy always in this messed up world is hard to imagine. And the instruction he gave to be thankful in all circumstances was equally difficult to considering that all of their circumstances were awful. Again, hard for us to consider when we struggle with relationships or to pay the bills or when we see how war, drugs, and hate are tearing our world apart. Giving thanks doesn't seem possible. What we need to understand, though, is that what Paul is asking of these people and what he is asking of us is impossible if it weren't for Jesus. There are several ideas um, tossed around in the classroom that day um, about how we find this kind of joy and gratitude in the current state of our lives and in the current state of the world. And we landed on two main reasons that it's possible. The first being Jesus. God came in the flesh to save us all. He sent his spirit to each of us and he promises to come back and make everything right. That is the foundational source of our joy. The second reason is the fact that we don't only have Jesus with us as we walk through hardship. We have each other. Doing life together intentionally through the hard stuff allows joy to be realized. I recently read an article by Walter Brueggemann, who is a widely popular influential scholar and theologian. He um, pointed out that the instruction from Paul in our scripture for today is actually broken down into three things we must know in order to fully experience this awesome joy. He says that we must know what to do, what to receive, And what time it is. The scripture begins with what we need to do and that is always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances. Paul starts by telling us to always have joy and the joy that Paul's talking about isn't like the joy many of us feel this time of year. It's not that joy-filled happiness that I talked about earlier. The joy Paul is talking about is the Christ-centered and based in the confidence that we have that God's good will, will overcome all sin, all trials, and all brokenness. This kind of joy comes from believing that Jesus died for us and he's with us now and we're waiting for him to return. It comes from knowing and believing that when he does, All things will be made new. All will be repaired, redeemed, and reconciled to him. Our never-ending joy, even in times of suffering, comes from knowing that God, in the flesh, arrived here as a baby on earth in order to be with us always, even in the waiting. The joy we have doesn't come from ignoring what's broken around us. God isn't ignoring the brokenness. He isn't absent in our waiting, and he's not passive either, and neither can we be. We have to pay attention. God is with us through the trials and our suffering, and he's not silent. He's at work all around us, and we get to join him in that work. We have a hand in making our communities and our backyards and our schools and our workplaces all look more like the kingdom we so desperately want to arrive here. We need to pay attention, join Jesus in his work, and pray for what is broken. In fact, Paul tells us to never stop praying because praying reminds us of why we have joy in the most hard moments of loss in those moments where the brokenness of the world just seems overwhelming. Praying is our direct conversation with God, where he often reminds us of his faithfulness, which leads us to a place where we can have hope and peace and joy and give thanks for all he has done and is doing. Giving thanks is also something we need to do and according to Paul's instruction we should give thanks for all we receive from a God who gives so much more than we deserve our giving thanks especially this time of year is countercultural. instead of buying more or asking for more or spending more giving thanks in all circumstances refocuses our hearts and minds and helps us realize the many blessings that he's given us already, even in the midst of suffering. And it places our focus on the one who provides each of those blessings. Paul then tells us we need to know what to receive. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said and hold on to what's good. Paul draws our attention away from the world that we can be distracted by and turns our attention to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us not to avoid change that comes from the newness that the Spirit offers us. He says we should be open to receiving that gift of newness that he offers us, and we should be allowing it to transform us as well. I think the church in Thessalonica, they didn't give much thought or power to suffering. Instead, they were very aware of the inbreaking of the spirit, very aware of his goodness, and even while they were waiting for rescue, they trusted and sought after that spirit. I feel like if we were more like them, we would have a laser focus on Jesus and where he's at work. It wouldn't be easy to be distracted by the world around us, even at Christmas time. We would be intent on joining him in his work, praying diligently, and giving thanks for what he's doing in this world. And that would lead to a joy that's undeniable, a joy that would be readily recognized. Lastly, Paul tells us we need to know what time it is Verse 23 says now may the god of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless under our lord Jesus Christ under our lord Jesus Christ comes again Time is a funny thing in our culture right Nobody has any We're all so busy and yet we are readily available to give all that time that we don't have away to things that are unimportant, like social media and working too hard. Paul tells us that we should be spending our time preparing because we're on the very edge of Christ's return. The coming we often celebrate this time of year is one that involves a cast of familiar characters, like angels and shepherds, a donkey and innkeepers. But Paul doesn't seem to know that familiar story. His concern is with the second coming. Paul believed that Christ is coming and stressed in most of his letters the importance of being ready for that day. And part of that preparation is where God calls us into relationship with others. There's a conversation that comes around 100% of the time when someone around me or someone that they love is walking through loss. They always get around to asking how in the world someone could go through something similar and not know Christ. It's a hard thing to imagine. But I think that's one of the reasons we need to pay attention to where God is calling us. He puts people in front of us for many reasons, and that is one of them. It's so important we take an opportunity to meet people where they are and walk through impossible circumstances with those who are hurting. I think that is part of the reason Paul was so concerned with being ready and why he continued to work even though he was in chains. Paul never stopped sharing the gospel with people because he was desperate for people to know Christ. He expected Jesus to return at any moment, and he couldn't imagine a world where any person wasn't ready for that day. Paul says in verse 24, God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. And God is faithful he will do this, and we should be enthusiastically waiting for that day. We should be prepared for the moment he will make all things new and right all wrongs. And one thing I saw this past year, as many within our church suffered great loss, is how joy was present through the darkest moments, because we walked through those moments together. There were Tears and sadness when Patty and I visited Keith for the last time. He loved like Jesus, and we didn't want to say goodbye. But the knowledge we had of the glory and wholeness awaiting him, and because Keith demonstrated joy and suffering in such a beautiful and real way, we had great joy in the midst of that very sad moment. And when the Downs family stood gazing at the beautiful artwork that Jack had painted just before they said a final goodbye to him, there were many comments of awe and appreciation. But what I saw was family members supporting each other from a deep joy that they had in their hearts because Jack had very intentionally shared Jesus with each and every one of them. I've watched new friends walk through these moments of loss with each other, understanding that pain can be present for a very long time, and knowing the importance of walking side by side through that pain. And while walking side by side, they reflect Jesus, who is also present in that moment. And that is why joy can be found alongside pain. You know, each of these instructions that Paul gives are addressed to all of Thessalonica, and more urgently right now to all of us. Paul's instructions aren't just for a few. He doesn't say, you know, Wanda and Denise, you should pray always. And Carol, you should give thanks. And Don, you should be preparing for Christ's return. Those things are a given Wanda and Denise should pray, and I know that they do constantly. And Carol should give thanks the way that she does so graciously. And Don should prepare for the day that Christ returns, and I know that that is exactly Don's heart. But what's more important and why we are capable of having joy in all circumstances is because we all do those things together. We live in a world full of brokenness, but that's not the whole picture because he died to overcome sin and death and rose again to give each and every single one of us new life. He, we have joy in moments we think are impossible to go through because he died and gave us life. As we celebrate Christmas, I pray that the joy we experience goes far beyond that joy-filled happiness. I pray that the joy we have isn't only because he arrived as a baby. I hope our joy is found in what he has done and what is yet to come as we join him together. So before we go to the table, we are going to reflect and respond to the instruction Paul has given today. I would really love for you to take a moment and consider what circumstance or situation in your life you are trying to force happiness on in order to comfort yourself. When what you need is to experience the deep joy of Jesus. Where do you need to pursue the Spirit of God? Take a couple moments to reflect.